Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the October 24, 2017 edition of Ask a Leader. Well, I did go to the California GOP convention in Anaheim last weekend. Uh, I have a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to say very much right now. One thing I do want to say is academia was very easily caricatured in those keynotes and the crowd response to that. We've got our uh, work cut out for us, folks, to bring nuance, make it fashionable, make it make it worth listening to, to um, those that are less nuanced. It's really, really important. Well, good morning. Today on the heels of Sustain OC's rousing eighth annual conference and expo, Anaheim Council member Chris Murray and Orange County Council of Governments Chair will talk about her work with Sustain OC and what her involvement there brings to municipal governance. With time remaining, we'll have a civic lesson about Anaheim's brand new districts after their 159-year history of an at-large system. In the second segment, Jeffrey, a.k.a. Django Mangalam, has a lot to say after competing in his second solar decathlon that just wrapped in Denver last week. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My first guest is Anaheim City Council member Chris Murray, whom I met at the recent Sustain OC 8th Annual Conference and Expo on Energy Innovation. And this is meant to be a plug. Those workshops, those conventions are conferences are so interesting. If you think you don't really know that much about engineering, it doesn't matter. They're they're very accessible, they're leading edgers, everything in it for all of us to work on our learning curves. It was tremendous. Council member Chris Murray was first elected to the council in 2010 and was reelected in 2014. In addition to serving on the council, she represents her city on the regional boards of the Association of California Cities, Orange County, League of California Cities, Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, Southern California Water Committee, Southern California Association of Governments, and is board chairperson of Orange County Council of Governments. She is co-chair of the Anaheim Chamber of Economic Consortium and chairs the annual Anaheim slash OC Jobs Fair. Council Member Murray was a supporter of the development of the county's new transit center, the Anaheim Regional Transit Intermodal Center, known as Arctic. She authored the Safe at Home Initiative, addressing slum conditions in Anaheim, is currently focusing on revitalizing the city's West Anaheim communities. She earned her Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science at Cal State University, Long Beach, and a Master's Certificate in Transportation Management from the Mineta Transportation Institute at San Jose State University. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Council Member Chris Murray. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, I'd like to start with how how this all works. How did you become acquainted with Sustain OC over at Applied Innovations at UCI's Edge? Yeah, well, I, I've worked with uh, Scott Kitcher well over, I think, a decade uh, back when it was Clean Tech OC. Okay. And uh, professionally have worked with him over the years. Uh, Civically, OCOG uh, has been partnering with them to promote and advocate for sustainable programs uh, regionally and here at home in Orange County. So then uh, sustainability, all kinds of topics always are on the agenda for the OCOG meetings, which are monthly, correct? The, or that's public yes. meetings. And then yes, there's, they are. And then the board and, meetings. And OCOG, just for everyone's benefit, yes. is a an organization that represents uh, Orange County, all 34 cities in the county, in the regional discussion of land use planning, housing, and transportation, uh, and also in achieving our sustainability goals and the mandates that are set by the state and federal government. So we have a direct role in, in helping uh, our county and and our region uh, meet the, the standards set by the state for greenhouse gas emissions as well as overall sustainability of our housing, transportation, and land use planning. So I guess for those of us who aren't privileged enough to be 
serving on the board and, and, and hearing the sort of privileged discussions, I'd like to know what's your measurement of the leadership of those 34 cities in terms of taking up sustainability? And I, I mean sustainability not in an earnest way, but in as a hardcore, policy-driven, innovation, economic engine kind of way. Well, I would say it's quite strong. Uh, just one great program to use as an example, yes. uh, the board, and, and it passed unanimously with involvement from the board for well over a year, uh, adopted a Smart Streets program with a real toolkit for cities on how they can make sure that we are providing complete streets for everyone that are designed and operated to enable access, safe access for all users in our communities and people of all ages and abilities to move and cross streets regardless of how they're traveling. So that's biking, walking, you know, getting to and from school, our transit systems, as well as our traditional motive, you know, our vehicles on the roads, just making sure our streets are truly complete and holistic approach to planning for our, our smart streets. So does Anaheim have a list of priorities for the, that kind of infrastructure retooling? Anaheim's been engaged in that. All the cities have been at, at various levels. Again, and geographically, we're all very different. Um, yes, of course. And socioeconomically, so we have to, each city needs to look and tailor these programs to meet the unique needs of each city. Anaheim's been very aggressive in achieving its greenhouse gas emissions targets as well as was a leader in uh, achieving the um, reductions in water, both from the business side as well as the residential side when the, the, the drought conditions were at their worst. So we have major uh, rebates and incentives uh, for residential and commercial to achieve both energy reduction or energy savings and water reduction. So I'd like to know who your, we know that the, Disney has an oversized influence around Anaheim in terms of demonstrating leadership in these kinds of initiatives. How is Disney a model in terms of what they're trying to do with their own complex in trying to reduce their, their carbon footprint? And that's, is it something that you can bring to other businesses and say, look, this is, this is the state of the art, or this is, this is the everyday sustainable mod model that we all need to all get on board with? I mean, are, are they giving you the headwinds or the tailwinds in setting goals and performing? Well, Disney's, Disney has absolutely been a leader and considers sustainability a major priority for how they operate their business. Uh, a great example for them is when they were doing the retooling and refurbishment of the California Adventure when they were doing the retooling of the uh, lagoon where they put in the new fireworks show in the lagoon on that side of the park. Instead of just uh, draining the lagoon and flushing it into the ocean, they actually worked with the Orange County Water District to repercolate all of that water into our, you know, um, refurbish it, uh, work with the Orange County Water District to put it back into our groundwater and then purchased additional water to refill but didn't waste that water. Basically, they saved it at great expense to do so. You know, they, they are very good uh, on the energy side as well as the water side as a, as a community leader and as a, setting an example for other businesses in our community. I would say a lot of our businesses are. We have um, SA Recycling put an entire solar field on their property, and not only do they provide solar power for their operations, but they provide power back to the grid through that solar uh, facility on their property. So we work with our businesses and provide a lot of uh, energy rebates and, and promote the good work of our other businesses. So can you tell us, Council Member Murray, the dynamic? Is it that business sees this as an economically viable practice, the practice to be retooled, or are there, it's a, the mandate from top down, or is it a mixture of those? I'm just, so we can all kind of get a, an idea of leadership adjustments, and since, as we're checking the thermometer today, the thermostat, it's really, <laughs> thing, things are heating up around. It's an, it's an emergency. <laughs> Well, correct. We're definitely having some hot weather. We didn't get in August, but for some reason we're getting uh, close to November. It's kind of crazy. But, uh, no, I would call it a partnership. You know, the, the city works hand-in-hand -hand with our business community, and I see it happening in cities around the county and region. Uh, SustainOC uh, is a forum for that as well. They really promote 
their services to provide an information hub for all stakeholders, to provide real advocacy, not just here in Orange County, but in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. They provide, you know, forms for incubation, sharing of best practices, uh-huh. promoting good public policy, providing access to local and state and federal government, uh, providing access to latest technology. I mean, Orange County and, and across the county, Irvine, where you're located, and the, the university's applied technology uh, program are major contributors to that. For those of you who are just joining us, my guest is Anaheim City Council member Chris Murray, who also serves on many other boards around the county. And we're talking about the sustainability themes on the municipal level. And after the Sustain OC's eighth annual conference and expo, it's and I, I'm done plugging that, but I just, it was, it, it's always such a a really learning experience. Did you, maybe you, anything new come out of your meeting uh, last Thursday? Some, some edge you broke that you'd like to convey. I just I felt the entire program was very good, and sadly I couldn't stay for the entire program. We had an officer who passed away last oh. week, and I had to step out to go to his funeral. So I was there for the beginning programs. I thought the um, program, uh, learning more about the advancements of fusion technology, you know, just the the real research and development that's on our horizon, to um, to make that accessible on a even a finite level at the residential or business level is remarkable to, to see that kind of technology developing as rapidly as it is. So I thank Scott Kitcher and his board for putting together programs that really show us not only what's in place today, but what's on our horizon. It's quite exciting. Well, and I appreciate that, first of all, that council members have to be at so many different places, and this was something of a, like a an emergency uh, and a commitment to make the the funeral that you you add to your very heavy schedule and you were you had confided in me about how long it took you to get from Anaheim to Irvine mm-hmm. Thursday morning so it was like a 2 hour slog for you so it wasn't quite that much but uh, it was uh, there's definitely a lot of traffic uh, on our on our highways um, so it takes some time to to get from one end of the county to the other at peak hours so, in speaking of transportation, let's bring up the the Arctic, the Anaheim Regional Transportation Intermodal Center. That was mm-hmm. something you supported, and that there's there are some financial headwinds in that improvement. So, I understand that there was an effort to get the biggest corporate leadership in Anaheim to to step up and contribute toward facilitating some some shuttles from the, tra- the from arctic to those places of business and pleasure so uh, what do you see are some opportunities to sort of rethink their bring them on re- rethink the support that they were sort of withholding um, our business community has actually been very, very supportive of Arctic, so I'm not sure where that report might be coming from because no, it just flies in the face of, of what they've been doing. We actually do provide, uh, we have ATN, which is the Anaheim Transportation Network. It is a shuttle service between Arctic and our resort community as well as provides regional shuttle service into other destination points for tourists, uh, South Coast Plaza being one. So um, the business community has been engaged, um, and that's uh, partly funded by our resort businesses. So there's still a connection still missing between Arctic and the Disneyland complex? No. It's uh, there. I must have read some out-of-date kind of... shuttle service exists today. Uh, How is it working? There was a discussion about doing a streetcar between Arctic, uh, our convention center, and the Disneyland Resort. Uh, Our mayor is is very opposed to that. Um, I was very supportive of that. We did complete the environmental impact report, which is a necessary step for any transportation planning program. Uh, That was completed about a year and a half ago and transferred over to the Orange County Transportation Authority, which is the lead agency for the county's streetcar program. The first streetcar is being developed in uh, breaking ground in Santa Ana. Right. And uh, long term, uh, Anaheim hopes to connect into that. Okay. So I guess it was the streetcar, and my apologies for the yeah. for not getting that the right mode considered here. Yeah, it wasn't the business community that was opposed to that. It was some of our political leadership. The business community was very supportive of it. So are you able with some, I mean, I'm asking you here for some, some maybe specific stats, but are you able to gauge then how much these shuttles are relieving the congestion to various destinations in Anaheim? 
people that are using Arctic and the shuttles? Um, the uh, ATN has been a very successful service. I don't have their ridership numbers in front of me. I can I can provide that to you another time. I wasn't prepared to speak. No, to that I understand. Today, but but they're very successful and they've been in operation for quite some time. But they provide very consistent shuttle service between Arctic and our convention center, many of our hotel stops, and the Disneyland Resort. So another kind of dynamic I'm interested in, Council Member Murray, is. In your relationship to your constituents, are our constituents pressing on you to reach sustainability goals or, or are you ahead of them and you are importuning them to think about all of everybody's practices, constituents inside the city of Anaheim? I would say the residents of Anaheim have been supportive of the the city's sustainability goals and clean energy and, and air emission uh, focus. You know, everyone, everyone is always cognizant, especially in an economy that still struggles, um, of, of cost impacts. But we've been able to find a balance where we are not burdening, we don't, our, our rates are actually lower. We are a municipal provider and we're the only ones in the county that are municipally uh, run power and water, but right. we, uh, so we're able to pass that savings directly to our residents, and, and part of that service is we do provide a lot of energy and water rebates to both residents and businesses, uh, but it's been a partnership from the beginning, and I served on our public utility board before I was elected to council, so have a long history with, with our work in the utility sector. Are there any new initiatives? Maybe we even get a scoop. I don't know. Any new initiatives? This is a platform for you that you'd like to... Um, have get a little more profile that you would like uh, to tell us about your in, that just in the works um, I, I don't know if there are what I would call new initiatives. Uh, we are engaging again on our um, regional sustainability community strategy, sustainable community strategy as part of regional transportation planning, which is how do we reduce emissions on our roads? How do we plan for housing so it does have accessibility and service access to our transit centers like Arctic? Uh, in Anaheim, we have the Platinum Triangle coming coming to fruition, and we are, we are building on that. Uh, access to that facility, uh, significant new commercial retail and housing um, that will have a walkability living aspect to it and direct access to Arctic, which is the, the, uh, the intermodal hub for all of Southern California. It really is central to the, to the entire area. And for many of your listeners yes. may not know, but Southern California and Orange County is the second busiest commuter rail corridor in the nation outside the Northeast Rail Corridor. Arctic is right in the middle of that. So it's called the Los San Quarter. It's Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego. And uh, there are major initiatives at OCTA, which is our transportation authority, right. leading uh, enhanced commuter rail to really provide additional choice and options uh, for commuters in California. Well, I can hear the groan from here always. that It, I, it feels like we're the second busiest commuter <laughs> corridor. I mean, would some of you us know? decide we're not even going to do something because it's, it's just too busy or we're... We're sort of, uh, we're like, oh my gosh, what, if I could just put a fixed rail right in the middle of 405. That doesn't, 405 doesn't go to Anaheim, but when I'm in a parking lot in a freeway and I didn't get to carpool like I wanted, then uh, yeah, I, can, I think we can all feel that second busiest commuter corridor for sure. Well, the greatest inhibitor to ridership is convenience and cost. And so what we're trying to do is, OCTA is the leader on this, but they are actively planning today to increase the level of of uh, service um, to help provide streamlined services between Amtrak and Metrolink, and then to make sure that when you show up as a rider, you know, we get to 15, 20-minute headways that they have in other parts of the country. So you're not trying to plan your whole day coming and going based on the uh, the schedule of Metrolink, but based on just a knowledge and a certainty that if you're at the station, the longest you're going to wait is 15 or 20 minutes. If people have choices, then organically it'll relieve congestion. Uh, and that's what we have to do with commuter rail and, and other uh, rail and transit programs. Well, when Metrolink, it's it's an expensive proposition to add more routes. I know it limits us in central South County to, to get north at all the way to Union Station with Metrolink. We can, there aren't that many kinds of trips we can do. And so I don't know, I don't have any idea how that this can, the, there can be support for adding more rides when we've got 
there's tabs to be paid for everywhere. It's not a priority, is it, to add any additional rides on the Metrolink? Well, there's local, state, and federal funding for this, so it's really about adding additional trains to existing tracks. And, yes, there would be uh, a track enhancement, and honestly, you should bring somebody on from OCTA. Uh, Jennifer Bergner heads up the Lausanne Authority at OCTA would be a great guest to have. Okay, Um, thanks. You know, and she can really speak to the the technical aspects of the work they're doing. I'm just very supportive of their efforts and the regional efforts to collaborate on this between San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles, the authorities, and Metrolink in between there. It really is a comprehensive effort to improve the service levels and expand the service levels on existing track. Well, we did have the the former OCTA chief, whose name escapes me right now, it's been a while, and their responsiveness to on the dime to have service ready for a, what was a U2 concert or something like that, that on the dime, OCTA could provide additional trips to, uh, you know, with Metrolink and all to get people in and out of that big event in, uh, it was in, was it in the, it was in the uh, corridor, the, uh, the, yeah, the, that's the triangle. Stadium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. let's, let's move into. And they've also implemented uh, train service. This is about three years ago now. Yes, exactly. Successful. They've actually had to add trains each year, but for uh, nights when there are angels and ducks games, there are additional train service, and they literally call it the angel, the angel stop or angel service. I can't remember what they call it, but it's it's very very successful, uh, providing the the later night service so that people can take the train home after the games. And you've got to think that the game venue benefits that that these people arrive in such a civilized way that they must contribute to a lovely vibe in the stadium don't you think (laughs) yeah and it also gives people a safe uh, option there in home if they want to uh to have a tasty adult beverage so uh it just keeps our our roads safer and keep keep, make sure everybody gets home safely and the vibe right well let's move into the all-new district map for Anaheim for 159 years, as I mentioned in the introduction, Anaheim had at large districts and now it's moved and created six districts while the mayor, of course, remains at large. Which district Mm -hmm. are you living in? I I live in the 6th district, which is our far east district, but I still serve the city at large. uh, I was still elected at large in uh, 2014 when I was reelected. And my other colleague, uh, the Mayor Pro Tem, James Vanderbilt, is also at large. So we're the last two remaining at large members. In 2018, uh, districts 2 and 6 will elect representatives, and then the entire, all the council seats will be district represented with the mayor at large. So, well, this is going to be a new day for for Anaheim, and the things are really uh, heating up with all kinds of candidates filing. Now, this is going to be an election season unlike anyone's ever seen in Anaheim, do you think? Uh, I, I, I think... Every election feels that way. It does. Um, we have a lot of candidates who've already declared from, I think, four now for mayor, and we're a little more than a year out, and certainly we're starting to hear different names for um, a couple of the, the two district seats. The District 3 will also be up for election. That has an incumbent member who's running again uh, in 2018. So um, I don't know if it feels uh, more accelerated than most years. Uh, it always seems busy. Okay. Well, there's two Anaheims that are demographically going on. There's, it's, Anaheim is now 53% Hispanic, and so I don't know if that, that, that's part of the end. There's, two, there's a sort of a, uh, a, an upper high income. That's the eastern portion, I guess, Anaheim Hills, and then the western part where you were involved with getting some revitalization and all that. So I guess... My big question here is, how would you like to convince all of the city? I mean, you, you were talking to me uh, at the conference a, a little bit about how, whether districts are going to give constituents a chance to consider the whole, the broad vision of where the city's going. But with this this upcoming election and your campaigning and others, how the you know the needs are are genuinely you know, that ramping up here with affordability and uh, how are you going to reconcile the two Anaheims 
that you serve inside and outside of the 6th District? I, I know that's a well, global question, yeah, but, but so they're Claudia, there. I know there's a lot of um, political uh, discussion out there that, that uses that term. I don't subscribe to that. I, I don't believe that because we have a very large Latino population, they consider themselves a separate and distinct um, part of our city. Uh, we are one city. We are very mixed. Uh, we have large cultural populations from all over the world. We have, a, we have one of the largest Middle Eastern populations. We have one of the largest refugee populations. We have significant um, cultures and representation from, from countries across Asia. Uh, and, and we are one of the, we are the oldest city in Orange County. That, just being an older city comes with unique urban challenges and older infrastructure that must be dealt with. For years, uh, and I would say for decades, we have been working to invest in some of that aging infrastructure and to make improvements. When I took office in 2010, our yes. unemployment was well over 10%. We have worked collaboratively with the business community and to create local jobs and local hire programs since 2010. We've reduced our unemployment to less than 5%. Okay. So, you know, we're making great strides to serve our entire city. Any large, older, urban city is going to have unique socioeconomic challenges. But I don't subscribe that we have two Anaheims in Anaheim. We have one beautiful city that is representative of many incredibly, you know, uh, contributory uh, cultures. And the districts is one method to elect. I do get concerned uh, with the method of those elections that okay. we have folks who will be looking at a single geographic area instead of the interests of the city as a whole, and particularly those areas that are in most in need as we move into uh, a full implementation of this program. I expressed those concerns. They were budgetary and policy related uh, when we moved to this system, but it was up to the voters, and the voters approved it, and we've implemented it fully. So what will it be like, your campaign? I'm not asking you to show us your have uh, your playbook here. On I'm the not radio. up for election. I'm, I'm sorry? I'm out. I'm not up for election. Oh, you're turned this out my now. Last oh, term. okay. So are, yeah. will you be involved in someone else's campaign? I don't know. I'm looking at all the candidates. I'm sure I will. There will be some that I may support, but I haven't declared publicly yet. Oh, no, no. We're not, we're, we're not going to out yeah. all that yet. That's the, yeah. you, we don't even know who, who's all filed yet. There's plenty of time right. for that. Exactly. So. And this is also a reminder, everybody, down ticket is a very important place for voters to hang out, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I hope people understand. Uh, and uh, voters uh, really need their, their vote counts, every single vote counts. We had one seat that changed hands based on 70 votes. Um, we've had seats at the supervisorial level that have hung on less, 20 votes. So every single vote counts, and I really hope people take their civic duty seriously. It's the one thing we can do every election cycle to contribute to this democracy. And Costa Mesa also has their close finishes, too, on record within the last yep. four years. I'm many say, cities. Two, many oh, yeah. cities. So it, well, that mm -hmm. I didn't even see that endorsement coming, but uh, I mean that we're going to get to that. But it, it's it, it's a natural fit. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for taking sure. the time on Ask a Leader, Councilwoman Murray. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to join you. That was Council Member Chris Murray, and she's currently also on the board for the Orange County Council of Government. And uh, we're going to stay tuned. And our next guest is going to be. Jeffrey, a.k.a. Jangle Mangalum, his latest project on the Solar Decathlon competition in Denver. We'll be right back after a, a short break. Well, it's a small remix. No kidding. I've got it. I don't know who do, who gets credit for this. I'm trying to think. Is it Poogie or somebody like that? Maybe I'm not sure. So welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest who returns to this program is Jeffrey, a.k.a. Django Mangalum. Jeffrey Mangalum, a product of Irvine Schools, was last on several years ago when he introduced to the world his rocket oven design. 
when he's not wielding hammers or clipboards. Jeffrey is a fourth-year undergraduate student studying sustainable agriculture and food systems at UC Davis, where he calls this interview from. In the 2013-2015 stretch, contributing an enormous amount of sweat and time, he first became involved with the U.S. Solar Decathlon when he joined Team Orange County, a four-school team, which consisted of UCI, Chapman University, Saddleback Community College, and Irvine Valley College. During his time on the project, he helped design and build the home's landscaping, as well as many other designed and engineered features of the house. After transferring from Irvine Valley College to UC Davis, Jeffrey joined the 2017 UC Davis team as a student project manager and just recently helped them successfully design build and compete their latest entry called Our House. And I'm going to spell it out. Our is our and then H2O-U-S-E, Our House. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Jeffrey Mangalam. Thanks so much, Claudia. Good to be back. Well, I, you know, solar decathlon, I'm not a celebrity struck kind of person, but I've always been solar decathlon struck. What goes on there is rock star kind of material. So well, welcome back. Congratulations on your second competition. Thank you. It's uh, it's really really good to be back in Davis and not <laughs> sure. have to worry about <laughs> building this house. Yeah, it let, uh, you can probably everything feels like there's a, no intense measures anymore. Well, now now that you've participated in not one but two separate solar decathlons, can you draw some comparisons between the two? Yeah, totally. I mean, first off, both teams that I were on, the level of student involvement was was very high. All the basis for design features all came from students. Um, however, I will say that um, on Team Orange County, there was a much higher level of sort of professional involvement from, you know, professional architects and engineers and, um, you know, building contractors, which certainly helped us produce a very nice-looking house. It helped us stay on schedule. But I think it did come a little bit at the consequence of student learning. And I kind of realized that when I joined the UC Davis team where we really didn't use any um, professionals at all for any of the design process. And even during construction, their role was very minimal. Um, and I sort of could tell then that students were learning much more because they were having to do so much more. So when you have these sorts of teams, you have to kind of think about what are the ultimate goals that I want to get from uh, my participation in this project. Do I want to maximize student learning or do I just, you know, kind of want to win the competition? So for me, that's the, the biggest the biggest sort of contrast and noticeable difference, I, I think. So I'm also among comparisons because we're all watching how various energy choices available to all the way down to the the individual household consumer. Did the price overall of the solar decathlon units did it come down from 2015 to 2017 models? The price of per the unit because I know that the price is a part of the competition, correct? Yes, yes. Um, so. Yeah, that was uh, very interesting. Actually, last competition, there was an affordability contest where uh, teams were given points based on the affordability of their house. And with this last competition, affordability was no longer its own separate contest. It was kind of rolled into into, which? Uh, the, into the market potential contest. Um, so that was very interesting because it really did seem like the competition was kind of asking students or suggesting to students that, hey, you shouldn't really try and focus too much on building affordably, more, um, you know, focus on things like innovation, which got made its own contest. Um, so it did seem like the DOE, you know, Department of Energy, the organization that hosts the Solar Decathlon, they were really pushing students to, you know, build houses that would sort of inspire the public and show them, you know, the, the latest glitzy, glamorous technology. So that was very interesting to see. Okay. So the latest model, I gathered that since you are a veteran of the Solar Decathlon, and it was mainly students, all students on the, the team from UC Davis this year, so you must have been like the, uh, the, the managing partner here. 
Uh, I was I was definitely one of the the managing big like big management guys um, on the team. Uh, the the basic hierarchy for the UC Davis team was there was a, a faculty advisor, uh, Frank Loge, who mostly dealt with all the sort of the big administrative issues that we would run into, and then below him uh, was Tom Ryan, uh, our staff project manager, who was on the last UC Davis team and had signed up to do the project again. And then below him were me and uh, Brooke Carey, another UC Davis student, and we were the two student co-project managers or co-student project managers. And we really dealt with a sort of handling design issues uh, with individual teams. Uh-huh. So uh, if there was ever an issue of, you know, students not – you know, coordinating themselves well enough between work groups or if there were questions about what was being asked of students by competition organizers, we would handle uh, that level of, of information and logistics. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to the esteemed A.K. Django, Jeffrey Mangalam. He is the second time round involved developer in the participating in the Solar Decathlon that was this year in Denver, talking about his model that was entered in com- competition from UC Davis here on Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. So you were breaking down some of the entities that were contributing to this and so your compatriots on this project, what did they take away that was brand new that totally floored them from this experience? I think what's most interesting about this um, competition is that many people uh, from the outside would expect that, okay, this is a zero net energy home building competition. So most of what kids will learn about is, you know, engineering concepts building homes, you know, energy balance and uh, things like that. But I think really um, mostly what students take away is uh, much more broad in nature, and that's just how to work well together Uh and work with people on large projects because, you know, in any industry you go into, um, the jobs that will be required of you are mostly just – uh, revolving around doing large projects and, you know, how to coordinate those projects and make them stay on schedule and, you know, plan and implement them successfully. And, um, you know, building a house uh, is no small task. And so uh, I view the solar decathlon as kind of using that idea as sort of a framework to just teach students a much more broader concept, which is just how to work well in big teams and how to get uh, big things done. And I, I really do think that's what most students took away, not necessarily, you know, the more sort of uh, detailed engineering concepts that people would expect. Bravo, bravo. Well, why don't you give us a little tour of the model? We do lots of visuals on this radio show. You can start with the aspects that with which you're most enthralled, Jeffrey. Right. So this latest uh, house that uh, I helped build, you know, it's called Our House, but it's spelled Our H2O Use, so Our House, or pronounced Our Water Use. And so the idea was that we were treating uh, water conservation within the residential sector at the same level that energy conservation has been been receiving for quite some time. Yes. So, you know, a lot of houses in this competition for quite some time have done, you know, energy monitoring and all the circuits of the house. And we did that as well, but we also had uh, water monitoring. And so we were one of the first teams to uh, mount flow sensors on all our hot and cold water lines and monitor water use. Uh, in and around the entire house. And the reason we were doing that is, number one, we were um, broadcasting that information back to occupants using um, information feedback devices, so trying to inform occupants about how much water they're using and whether it's an appropriate or inappropriate amount, but also because um, within the state of California, there is a big need for an increase in data collection on water use and water management um, in the residential sector. You know, utility companies and government organizations, they want to know more about how people are using water, when they're using it, where they're using it, how much, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
the data that we collected from this water monitoring system, we stored it in an online database. And uh, if occupants were willing, other entities could access this data uh, and use it to sort of better inform their decision-making. So for me, that was kind of the main innovation of our house is that we were collecting all this data on, on water, water use, uh, and then we were broadcasting it back to occupants, but also potentially, you know, greater, larger organizations. The uh-huh. next, uh, so that's kind of, I guess, the coolest engineering feature, in my opinion. Uh, the, the coolest sort of design feature, I'd say, is that, is that we used um, a type of wood called trout wood, which is, uh, can refer to any tree, really, but it's just trees that were killed in the last California drought. So when the last California drought happened, a lot of trees um, didn't have enough water to uh, produce sap that would uh, sort of deter little beetles and insects from burrowing mm-hmm. into them, so right. a lot of them died. And uh, right now, you know, this wood is a really big fire hazard. Uh, there are some of the worst wildfires, obviously, going on right now in the state right. of California. And one of the reasons for that is because there are all these dead, dry trees uh, that are in these forests. And so uh, we worked with an organization called Forest Innovations that uh, all they do is they just pull these trees out of their natural environment and cut them up into dimension lumber that people can use for, you know, home projects or, you know, sort of larger things like we were doing where we were building a whole house. And so we use these, uh, this wood to sort of accent the exterior and interior of our house. So we built furniture out of this wood. We covered uh, ceilings and windowsills with this wood. And it gave a really, it gave the house a really, um, sort of beautiful, rustic aesthetic, but it was also kind of a very strong, uh, important reminder to us and to other people about sort of the, the effects of the drought and what really uh, is our problems that are still around because it happened. Jeffrey, was this designed for any particular resident? Like, we, I remember there were accessibility themes, veterans you know, housing and that kind of thing. Was there the model intended for any particular residence use? Right. So um, one of the house's design pillars or sort of like the main um, goals that it focuses around is, is being inclusive. And so when we say we wanted to make it inclusive, um, even though affordability wasn't isn't a contest, its own contest anymore, we still wanted to emphasize that and we also made it fully ADA accessible, and we were doing oh, okay. all these things to, you know, promote inclusivity, which basically means we were trying to appeal as uh, as broad a market as possible. Because within California, a huge array of people uh, want to be more water efficient within their house, and so we, uh, unlike most of our teams, which sort of had very specific uh, target markets, our target market was much broader in its, uh, you know, sort of spectrum of people. So, you know, you have full ADA accessibility, so that means potentially um, older people can live in it. Uh, it was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, so you could have a small family living in it. But then also um, for the competition, you do have to sort of select um, <laughs> some, at least some specific location. You can't just say it's for, for everyone. Uh, so we went with the target markets of Sacramento and Yolo County, um, just ah. because those two areas are kind of, uh, you know, they're home to us, uh, but they're also really sort of at the center of all this uh, legislation and changes that are being produced because of the drought and its effects that are still being felt today. Now, I know you had to build it at Davis, take it down, rebuild it in Denver, and I guess, and then you have to take it, you took it down again. So is, is there going to be, are you going to put it back together somewhere and somebody's going to actually live in this? Uh, we will not be putting it back together, but um, people in the uh, city of Denver will be. So what was oh, really interesting, Okay, a really different, uh, interesting difference between this competition and the last one is that um, this competition, the city of Denver, which is where it was, uh, where the competition was, they offered to buy all of the team's houses that were there. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, um, which was not <laughs> not something done by Irvine in 2015, for sure. 
Um, so, yeah, they offered to buy all of them, and the, the plan from what they told us is that they are going to use these, they're going to retrofit these houses so that they're more appropriate for, um, you know, so the Denver climate, but then they're going to install them um, in sort of low-income, underserved areas to provide housing for people who lived there. Uh, that wow. wasn't really the plan we were having for them when they came back to UC Davis. We were more uh, viewing them as to be student housing or sort of, you know, uh-huh. guest researcher housing. Um, but we were still very happy with the fact that Denver had this very, very, you know, sort of uh, large plan to buy all or offer to buy all these houses and put them somewhere that where they can actually be used. Well, I, I'm not trying to sort of point out the accounting that the city of Denver has to worry about, but it, it was a, an interest of minor that I didn't quite finish off was that how much did your model cost? If Oh, so my model cost um, $271,000. And that is down appreciably from the ones that were in the Irvine Solar Decathlon by about a third, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, so that's kind of always been one of the focuses of UC Davis is sort of promoting zero-to-energy homes um, and showing the public that they're not just these sort of glitzy, uh, you know, McMansion houses that you're only going to be able to own not just for uh, way off in the future. Yeah. They're real. They're you know they're affordable now. The technologies are off the shelf and available now, and it's, you know you can you can buy them. And I think that really is uh, in part catering a lot to you know the California 2020 initiative where uh, the government is trying to make all new home building in California by 2020, make it all zero net. Um, And that's a really big challenge. And one of the biggest challenges within that is uh, communicating to new home buyers that this option exists in the residential market and here are all the benefits here. You know, there is a higher upfront cost, but often the case is that that higher upfront cost will be paid off over the lifetime of the house. And so, uh, you know, we're UC Davis is using the Solar Decathlon to teach students about all these different concepts, but I think uh, it's also being used as an opportunity to kind of promote the fact to the public that uh, zero net energy homes are are they're available now, they're ready to go and ready to be bought now, and so we should. Okay, now we're gonna look to the future, two different futures. First is the the hut future, updating for the listeners that Irvine. This just in, just in from when I was talking with their communications manager. Irvine is not applying for the next solar decathlon. So I'm, I don't know. Does, did you get a sense that Denver's going to reapply to host next time? I, you know, I think the future of solar decathlon, the U.S. solar decathlon, um, is kind of uncertain. Uh, they just pushed it back to 2020. Now that's um, the scoop I was hoping we get to, right? It's, so the Department of Energy is already adding another year to the uh, what was a biannual ritual now spreading it out so did you what were the what was the morale like of those uh, department energy employees that were working with you guys in denver um you know i think uh from what we could see interacting with them it was still very high i think everyone was just so excited to be at the competition and have a really awesome bunch of houses to display um but i i do think that overall it's becoming harder and harder for these people to get the uh, sort of financial and human resources to host this competition. One thing I I also noticed was that uh, in Irvine in 2015, uh, the Secretary of Energy came and he spoke at the competition and he, you know, said, what a great competition this is and you're all doing such amazing work, keep it up, you know, renewables energies are great. Um, and, and this year, we did not have a visit from uh, anyone of that high level from the Department of Energy. Um, so that was also very interesting uh, to see. But then, yeah, also just it, get, it getting pushed back a year was also um, kind of surprising and interesting. I didn't hear anything uh, from the city of Denver about uh, reapplying for this competition. Yeah, that's kind of an internal um, thing they have, but I, I just wasn't sure if they were 
you know, there were some kind of civic leaders that were thumping around about that. But I, I understand that. Well, I wanted to um, make sure everybody knew about that little federal update, which is really important. Well, I now the other future is where is Jeffrey Mangalum taking all the stellar experience? Well, uh, you know, so I'm a sustainable agriculture and, and food systems major, and, um, you know, agriculture uses a lot of water and energy, uh, and there are a lot of big projects right now going on in the agricultural sector. So I'm taking all of this experience I got right into that area. I think that um, ideas or students um, who are really into sustainability and water and energy conservation they are uh, really needed in the agricultural sector. Um, changes in efficiency there uh, very may um, have a bigger impact uh, than changes in the residential sector just because the amount of uh, energy and water that is used for ag far, far surpasses what is used in the residential sector. So I'm very excited to see what I've learned in this competition, uh, how can it be applied to my my real main interest, which is um, sort of increasing the sustainable operations of different activities within California and the and United States agriculture? Well, with all the soft skills that you've acquired and developed here, and the the kind of substantive learning, I can't imagine you could have a headier resume unless maybe maybe you pulled off world peace. Jeffrey, so I, it's it's got to be one of the most impressive resumes somebody could put together. You must be just salivating about that. I I would be if I were you. Yeah, <laughs> I I definitely think about that sometimes about how um, the sort of the uniqueness of really doing two of these competitions. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how far ahead that I think that puts me of students from, you know, my class that have never really worked on a project of this scale. I think uh, they're, they're, mis- they're definitely missing out on that experience. Well, I want to thank you, Jeffrey, a.k.a. Say Django, for those that are nearby in University Hills. Jeffrey Mangalum, UC Davis student, fresh back from the Solar Decathlon hosted in Denver. Congratulations on a really stellar presence, performance, and uh, and follow-up. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. Great to, great to talk with you. Thank you. Well, that was my wrap. Next week, we're, uh, well, I'm going to scare you. We'll start out with the extreme heat with some Natural Resources Defense Council scientists that are going to be available. Extreme heat and your health. And then go local with my radio colleagues processing their own personal dread. It's Halloween, you know, next Tuesday. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Usually quite loud. Our mantras,